Marie. You know, it's interesting how, as Marie was playing that song, you know, some songs, you sing them for a while, and after a while they kind of fade away and you never hear them again. And there are those certain songs that just continue to grow as time goes on, and certainly that's one of those songs that has been a long time and I think will always be a uh, very special song in the life of the church. Well, are you ready to leave the holidays and move on into the next year? I can tell some of you had a good holiday and some of you didn't have a good holiday. <coughs> well, we're going to be moving on. I, I just want to say before we take a step away from this season, I, I really enjoyed uh, just spending some time thinking about the gifts of God, and, and I'll use that word, feasting upon the gifts that God had given to us. And I came across a little thing, and it was talking about what makes a gift very special, you know, very unique. And, and there were three things. I'll, I'll show it there. What makes a gift special? Number one, the one who gave it to you. Isn't that true? might be your five-year-old who gave you that thing that they had to explain to you what it was on the piece of paper, but you put it away in a file because you'll never forget it because of who gave it to you. The second one is that because it was a life-changing gift. Maybe it was a ring. There are certain gifts that are very life-impacting. We never forget them. And then the third one is because it was very costly. Sometimes there are gifts that you know represent a lot of sacrifice and a lot of cost. And all three of those things, any one of those things makes a gift special. And I was just pondering the gift of faith and the gift of hope and the gift of love and just pondering who it was that gave it to us, how life-changing those gifts are and how much it costs. And uh, we can all recognize that those are, are very special gifts that God has, has given to us. Well, this morning we're going to enter the book of Acts where we left off. We're in chapter 11 today, and we are at a, a very critical place in, in God's redemptive story. And, and by the way, let me just say this. We're called to be people of, with a biblical worldview. And on, on the broadest level, what that means is, is that we recognize that everything taking place in history is not just happening haphazard. That God is from beginning to end, orchestrating all that is taking place in history. And so we need to realize as we live and as we look in the past and as we look ahead, we need to understand day by day that God is at work. And this is a very critical time in God's redemptive story. For thousands of years, God had focused in on the Jewish people. And he had, had a, he had a special purpose through this group of people that he was working out. And now, a prophecy that the Jews had missed or forgotten or, or never really fully seen was being fulfilled, and that was the gospel and God's blessing was being expanded beyond the Jews to all of the Gentiles. And that was a huge thing. That was a very challenging thing and so what God does is he picks probably the most influential person in the church at that time which was Peter and he picks Peter and and what he does with Peter is he he takes him and through a series of events he first convinces Peter that it's God's will that all men 
all men be saved. And so chapters 10 and 11 is, is giving an account of this. Now this morning I thought it might be interesting just to kind of bring us up and give us a real feel for, what's, for, for this uh, spot in God's redemptive history. I'd like to have the scripture presented through the video Media Bible. And uh, what you're going to hear is word for word the scripture. There's nothing added. There's nothing taken away. And we're going to jump in here. We're going to back up a little to Acts 10.22. Peter's up on his roof. The day be, he's up there praying. The day before, Cornelius, who was a Gentile, had been praying many miles away. And an angel had appeared and said, I want you to go down to Joppa and find this guy by the name of Peter. He told the, the angel told him where he would find him. So it's now the next day, and Peter's up praying on his roof, and he sees this vision of this sheet let down and these animals, and Peter says, oh, those are unclean animals, and God says, don't call uh, unclean what I have called clean. And then he informs Peter that there are some men on the way, and he's to go down and meet them and go with them. So as we pick up in chapter 10, the men, from, <coughs> the men have arrived at Joppa, Peter has just come off the roof and he's meeting these men. And then we'll move into our text this morning, which is chapter 11, verses 1 to 18. So, let's view this scripture together. <clears throat> the men replied, We have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. The holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day Peter started out with them and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? Cornelius answered, Four days ago, I was in my house praying. At this hour, at three in the afternoon, suddenly, a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, he is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all.
You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism? That John preached how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. <laughs> The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, He went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it had happened. I was in the city of Joppa, praying. And in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners. And it came down to where I was. I looked into it and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. And then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them 
as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. <clears throat> well, a very significant time in the life of that early church. And this morning, we're going to look at chapter 11, verses 1 through 18. We're going to kind of look at it on a little bit of a secondary level. I think the primary teaching here, of course, is that the gospel is open to all men. And what I'd like you to look with me at here is the, this, this challenge that Peter has of, of convincing these Jews that this is truly the will of God. And so we're going to take a look at some things that God uses to help us discern his will. And I think you'll find it interesting as we walk through and just see all of the things that God used here to demonstrate clearly what his, what his will was. Just a word before we look at this topic of, of discerning and, and communicating God's will. Uh, in, your, in your bulletin, there's a little sheet and it has several circles. And I just want to talk about, just mention several areas here of of God's will for us. There is an outside circle which is called uh, God's moral will. And that is things that have clearly been established. Those are timeless things. We find many admonitions in Scripture. You know, it's always wrong to lie. It's always wrong to steal. It's always wrong to covet, certainly the Ten Commandments, and many other things that the Scripture clearly states is God's will. And so we don't need to ask or discern what those things are. God's already given them to us. That's that outer circle, and there are many, many things in there. The second circle you'll see there is our individual moral will. And these are things that God has called uh, us specifically to do or not to do, and it might vary. Uh, God may have called you, for example, uh, one of the issues might be, to, to not drink alcohol, for example. <clears throat> it may be wrong for you to drink alcohol. It may not be wrong for someone else in a situation. We find that it might be a situation of working on Sunday. and Maybe you just have a conviction that you are not going to take any job where you will work on Sunday. Someone else may be led to work on Sunday because, to be very honest, there are many jobs in this community where people need to be cared for on Sunday. And so these are things which you know, God specifically has spoken to you about. They'd be wrong for you, but may not necessarily be wrong for someone else, and so it takes discernment. Then there's those areas of God's personal spiritual will for your life, those things which are spiritually beneficial, and those are things that God, you know, that might be who you marry or the career that you're involved in. 
uh, you know, what's God's will in those areas of your life. And there are lots of things there. And then that inner circle is just unqualified freedom. You know, God really didn't care whether you wore blue or gray socks this morning, or whether you have pasta tonight or quiche. Those are areas of just unqualified freedom, and, and the God allows us to make many choices uh, within our lives. Anything done contrary to God's word is out of his will. And so, you know, if you don't accept his word as as from God, then, then really it becomes a pretty cloudy issue as to what God's will is. But what we find here is these inner two circles can be a little more difficult. And I'd like to talk this morning about some of the things that help us to discern that. And we're going to walk through the text here in just a moment. And we're going to identify actually six different areas of ways in which God reveals his will. And he did in, in this circumstance to communicate. I want to mention, though, just up front, four prerequisites for, for knowing God's will. If you want to know God's will, number one is you have to have a personal relationship with God. Uh, they came to Jesus and said, what are the works that we are to do? And Jesus said in Matthew 6, 28 and 29, he said, this is the first work you need to do, and that's to believe on the Son of God. And so the first thing that needs to happen in anyone's life, if we're going to be walking in the will of God, is to be in relationship with God through His Son. A second prerequisite is a willingness to follow. A willingness to follow. The text there in Matthew 13 is the disciples came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, you're talking in parables, but you need to know something. A lot of the people are not getting what you say. And Jesus said, I know. He said, I'm doing that for a reason. And the essence of, of what he says there is, I speak in parables so that those that are simply curious, those that do not have a sincere desire to follow me, do not understand. And so if you don't have a willingness, if you don't have a heart to seek after God, don't expect him to tell you what to do. So that heart, a willingness to follow, and secondly, already seeking to follow. Often, in people's lives. You know, God has shown us something that He wants us to do, and if we haven't done that, don't expect Him to tell you anything else. So you already need to be moving and responding to God if you want to see the next thing that God is calling you to do. And then, lastly, another prerequisite is to ask. In James 1.5, He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask, and God who generously gives to all without finding fault. And so, a willingness to ask. So, let's move into the... I want to move into the main text here and just observe the six appeals here that Peter gives. And this is six reasons why he believes it is God's will that the Gospel now go out to all the Gentiles and to all of the nations. So we'll walk through this together, chapter 11. In the first three verses, we see there that the Jews, when Peter came back from that experience with Cornelius, were very critical of him. They said, what are you doing, Peter? You know that Jews are not to be in the house with Gentiles eating, and we've, they'd already heard word before Peter got there of what had happened. And so Peter begins here sharing with them. Here's the first one. 
The first thing that God does to reveal as well is divine intervention. Divine intervention. Listen to it. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Now that's not normal. This is a, this is a divine intervention. I was in the city, and I was in a trance. I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down by its four corners. It came to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth and beasts and reptiles and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. And I replied, Surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice from heaven came a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was pulled up to heaven again. A supernatural intervention of God. This is not an everyday occurrence. It's something that happens once in a while. I was thinking back over, over the last 33 years of ministry and just thinking in my own life. And... There have been certain occasions where God has given me a vision. In fact, I can remember five of them. I remember them. I don't think I can remember one dream, but I remember every vision God has given me absolutely vividly. And those visions are always given for the sake of somebody else or the sake of somebody that God, something God is going to do or is doing in the church. I've also had about half a dozen times where God has intervened, not necessarily through a vision, but just where he has spoken to me in such a profound way. And, and I remember the, each of those experiences. Now that's about 10 or 11 things over 33 years. That's one occurrence like every three years. This is not something that God does very often, but it's something that he does do. And we see here that he enters into Peter's life and it's a very critical time, and so he does a divine intervention because he wants Peter very clearly to see what's going on. You may have had times when God did a divine intervention, something that is totally unexplainable, something that you know is, couldn't have happened apart from God. And from time to time, he will do that. Acts 11, verse 11, right then, Three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was saying. The second thing we see is providential circumstances. Peter says, here I am. And right at that moment, these men arrive at my house. Peter's saying, this is too strange to be a coincidence. I, I wish that I had written down all the times that you know, I have had experienced providential circumstances. Those things are just beyond coincidence. I was listening this week of a pastor talking about a few years ago they had had some property they were purchasing for the church. And they, had, they finally found this property. It was a great price and it was just big enough parcel of land. And it was hard to get land and they had everything set up and they were going on, on Monday morning to sign on the property, and Sunday night the lady died. And the whole thing went into probate. And the whole thing was, <coughs> obviously the whole deal was at that point done. And 
Obviously, it was very hard on the church, so they ended up buying a different piece of property. It happened to be a little bit larger piece of property, but it was twice as expensive. They bought the property, and about six months later, Home Depot came in and wanted a, uh, to buy some of the extra property, bought it. In the end, they ended up with twice as much property at half the price. Now, you look back in that situation, and, and you know that God was working through divine circumstance in those situations. And we, we've all had those kinds of experiences. You know, you've got someone that the Lord's just laid on your mind and you're thinking about them all day and you go to Walmart and there they are. You run into them. Those kinds of things God does quite often. Here's the third one, verse 12. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me and we entered the man's house. The third thing that God will do is give you inner spiritual promptings. Now, you know, people say the Lord spoke to me. When people say that, 99.99% of the time, they're not saying that they actually heard an audible voice. You know, what people are saying is, I, I just sense God speaking to me in my spirit. They didn't actually hear a voice, but they, you know, these thoughts were coming to their mind and really, really sense that God was speaking. Now, you have to be really careful on this one. You have to be really careful on this one. You know, many people in psychotic wards are hearing from God. Uh, there are people with, you know, who killed their children who heard from God. And so, you definitely have to be cautious on this. And there's two principles that I'll give you on this one. Number one, when God speaks to you, it will never, ever, ever contradict what He's already revealed in His Word. It will never contradict what He has already revealed in His Word. And the second thing, it is rarely revealed in isolation. You know, others will confirm it. If you're ever afraid, if, if you feel God's showing you something, but you're afraid to share it with other people, be very cautious. God will confirm things that He's showing us in the hearts of other people. And if you have something you feel God's showing you and, and you go to other mature believers and they don't, they don't confirm that, you have to take a second look at what you think God is telling you. But having said that, you know, God speaks and prompts through His Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit within us and it's very important that we learn to listen and learn to hear how God is speaking to us and revealing His will to us. Because there's obviously a number of areas where you know, God has not revealed His will in His Word. Some of those second and third circles that we looked at earlier. So the third one is uh, inner spiritual prompting. Here's the fourth one. The fourth one is what I would call correlated leading. That means more than one people, one person here being led in the process. Acts 11, 13, and 14. He told us, he's talking about Cornelius now, he told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, send a jobber for Simon, who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. So when Peter's talking to these guys, he says, I want you to know that at the same time God was working on me, he was working on this other guy, by the name of Cornelius, speaking to him, and we both ended up, our paths crossed in this encounter. 
I remember a, a gentleman up in, uh, when we lived in Roseau, <coughs> it was a young man who lived in our church, and his father was up by War Road. And uh, a pastor up there was starting a church, had driven by this property, which happened to be part of the farmland of this gentleman. And as he drove by, the Lord spoke to him and told him that that property was going to be his for the new church. And so he went to this farmer, who was the father of the friend that I knew, and uh, he went and he said, Say, he said, I, I was driving by your property and the Lord spoke to me and told me that that, that property, you're going to sell some of that property for the church. And the farmer said, that's funny, he didn't tell me. And that was the end of it. Now, <clears throat> you know, he never did get the land. Well, you look back on that, and that may have been wishful thinking, but I would conclude from that that God wasn't speaking. And, uh, you know, if he'd gone to the farmer, and the farmer had said, you know what? This is really strange, but just this week, I, I started thinking about the fact that I'm, you know, I might want to be selling some property. Now, that would be a correlated leading, wouldn't it? And so often there will be others that are involved, and as you step out in God's will, you will see God leading others as a part of what he is doing. Number five is spiritual fruit. Number five is spiritual fruit. Does what God is leading you to do bear fruit? So if you're trying to decide if you should spend 65000 on a BMW, ask yourself the question, is that going to bear spiritual fruit? Now there could be a circumstance where it does. Maybe God has called you to a certain segment of the culture and that's something, you know, that would be probably a rare situation, but I'm not making a judgment on that, but ask the question, is where God is leading you, is it going to bear spiritual fruit? We see here in verses 15 through 17, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had upon us at the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I? I think I could oppose God. So here, Peter senses this leading. He goes and he sees people being saved. And the Holy Spirit coming upon people. So it's a confirmation that this is of God because we see the fruit there. And then number six. We see in verse 16, Then I remembered what the Lord had said. Very important. I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. The last one is Scripture. And as, as time would go on, it would become more obvious to them as they look back into the Old Testament Scriptures, they would see that God had talked about this all along. When He called Abraham in the very beginning, He said, Abraham, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. We see the prophecy in Joel and Amos where the Holy Spirit is going to come upon all people. And so, it wasn't that this was hidden, but they just, it had been hidden from their eyes and they didn't see it. If it's in Scripture, you don't need to ask God if it's His will. You just need to do it. And so, in summary, here's Peter. He heads up to Jerusalem with great confidence. 
His stance has been confirmed by divine intervention. It's been confirmed here by an inner spiritual prompting. It's been, it's been confirmed by a uh, leading of God of other people into the situation. It's bearing spiritual fruit. We see that it is, as they saw it, also based on Scripture. It was interesting, too. I don't know if you noticed, but there were six men that went with Peter. And whether this is just coincidence or not, but it is interesting that that meant that seven people, Peter and six others, went to the Jews in Jerusalem. And according to Jewish law, if seven people bore witness to something, it was indisputable evidence. And so we see here that the church at least initially here, and they, were, they will struggle with this as we, we will see, but initially they were convinced that this was God's will, that God had actually spoken in this situation. Well, how do we apply this this morning? Let me mention in closing a couple things. One is, we see here, uh, we certainly see in this on a secondary level, some insight about discerning God's will. You see, there are two wells that you can follow. There are two wells that you can follow. You can follow your will or you can follow God's will. And we see Jesus even you know, bearing this out in the garden when he says, not my will, but your will be done. And so we all have that option of living out our lives according to the will of God or living out our lives according to our will. All of us here have ignored God's will. And I would just ask you, how did it go? You know, after a while we get tired of beating our heads against the wall or being unfulfilled or hitting dead-end streets. And eventually we, we develop a hunger to know and discern God's will. So this is a very insightful passage. Uh, as God leads you, He will use a combination of things to lead you. But the place to start is always with what God has revealed. And so many times, so many times people are you know, they're trying to discern what God's will is in, in areas where God has already clearly spoken. He is already clearly communicating it, you know, in, in it to us. But in those areas, whether it be a career or maybe something that we're going to buy or a ministry that we should pursue, we need God's individual guidance. And, and there's a lot to learn from the examples that we see here. Here's the second thing that we see in terms of application. And by the way, this is the, this is the really, I would say, the predominant teaching of the text. We really focused on this way back when we did chapter 10 but I want to reiterate it this morning. And what we see in here is God's heart for all people. We see God's heart for all lost people. I think it's interesting that the place where Peter was staying was Joppa. I don't know if that rings any bells. But Joppa was the place where Jonah bought his ticket. Remember Jonah who jumped on the ship? He bought his ticket in Joppa. The reason he bought his ticket in Joppa was because he didn't like the fact that God was potentially going to save a bunch of people he didn't like, which was the Ninevites. 
He thought they were wicked. He didn't think they deserved it. And so he was heading the other way. Well, here Peter is. And here Peter is called to go to the Jews and tell them that the gospel and salvation was for the Gentiles. And the Jews hated the Gentiles. It was no secret. They, you know, they called them animals. <clears throat> you go back and read through, there was intense animosity uh, towards the Gentiles to the point they wouldn't even go in the same house and eat with them. If a Gentile rubbed up against you, when you were walking and brushed up against you, you had to go and to the temple and be cleaned. You know, it was just, there was intense animosity here. Well, who is it for us? You know, it wasn't that long ago that African Americans were not welcome in our churches, especially in the South. In fact, if it wasn't that long ago I was down in the South with Vicki, and there's, there's still some of that prevalent down in the South. You have uh, racism, you have tribalism, you have the caste system. We have the discrimination, significant discrimination against women in, in many parts of the world. And, you know, for us it might be simply that, it might be simply that we just are kind of apathetic and, and we just don't care. And so chapter 11 here is, you know, it's, it's reminding us here that one of the things that God is doing and one of the things that God wants to do in His church is to give us His heart for lost people. Let me just conclude. A couple of things. One is, if you're here today and you have never repented, which means come to a point where you sincerely want to turn from your sin, obviously this text is speaking to you about God's heart for you. And uh, God was very concerned that all people have a chance to be saved. And so God is reaching out through this text to all of us today, inviting us to himself. The other thing that we see here on a, on a secondary level is that you know, God is just showing us some of the things he uses as he reveals his will to us. And I think this is very... As I was going through this text, I thought it was very interesting timing as, as next Sunday we'll be coming, the overseers will be meeting this weekend. I invite you to pray for them. And uh, we'll be coming to share a, a sense of where the leadership and through our discussions, and we met a couple times with the church body, where we sense God leading us. And, you know, the question is, is, is this God's will for us? How do we know that? And so next week, I'd, I'd like to hold this vision up to some of this criteria. And we're going to talk about that. And we're going to see if it fits this pattern for how God leads his people. Father, this morning, I thank you for uh, this text. And I, I'm just so grateful that you show no favorites, that you desired not just for the Jewish people, but for people like us, people like myself, uh, to be saved. Father, what a wonderful thing to get up in the morning and know that we're saved and know that our sins are forgiven. And uh, Lord, to, to just experience the joy of all that we have in you.
And uh, Lord, we thank you that you made it so clear through so many different ways to these early Christians that this was your will. And uh, Lord, we know that this is something that you were that you would accomplish and you did accomplish because it's part of your divine plan. And uh, Lord, as we conclude this service with just a time of, of celebrating who we are as your people, might we be mindful that we are part of this great redemptive story that you are writing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.